I am with Trump. I'm with Trump. Absolutely. Look, I know last night was tough. We still don't know at this time uh, what's going to happen with the Senate and or the House. Um, the midterms were a major disappointment, but there's hope. I have my theories as to what happened and what we can do about it. But the blame does not go to President Trump. No, he did so much to help this country and to help Republicans get elected. He had a fair amount of success, but to blame him would be wrong and would be totally unfair. Number one, if you watch this show, we talk about President Trump all the time. Look, you know how I feel about him. I love the policies. I love the style. I understand not everybody agrees, but consider this. As we cover him here on Newsmax and just about everywhere he goes, we're there with the camera and we tell you about what he did. And I find it all fascinating and interesting. Um, the mainstream media, they don't do that anymore. And neither does a good chunk of the conservative media. Now, they did and they will never do it again. Do you remember what happened in 2016, how Donald Trump dominated everything? There are several major events coming up tonight. We're going to have full coverage of all of these events. We're standing by to hear from Donald Trump. Uh, he's going to be speaking as well. The third rally, he's got two more later tonight. Meanwhile, on the political trail, we are awaiting uh, Donald Trump uh, to arrive at his rally in Hagerstown, Maryland. Something rare happened at the Trump rally in Milwaukee tonight. Let's go. All right. <laughs> That's six years ago. You know, they all feel guilty about this. They helped create Trump, and they will never forgive themselves. Well, actually, they forgive themselves everything, but they do feel some responsibility, and they won't do it again. So they don't let Donald Trump on cable TV, for the most part. They don't let him on social media. It's interesting how infrequently the people actually hear from Trump. Look, I'm a huge Trump fan. I don't even have Truth Social. I haven't downloaded yet. The last thing I need is another logon and password. I guess I should get it. I'll get it eventually, like in a year. <laughs> I'm just, I, 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 so he's not as central as he should be, as I want him to be, quite frankly. Now, here on Newsmax, if Donald Trump says, does something newsworthy and just about every time he does anything, it's newsworthy, we cover it. Like Saturday night, he had a huge rally in Pennsylvania. We were there. Fox News. Yes, Fox News. You know, they ignore him. Yeah, this is Saturday night. At that time, at that very time, I like Greg Gutfeld, but uh, they ignored President Trump. That's what they do. So last night, this is last night at Mar-a-Lago. Isn't it important to hear what President Trump has to say the night of the midterms? I think so. Newsmax thinks so. We took his comments live. What do they do over on uh, Fox News? It was a continuation of the Brett Bear Martha show, right? No, no, we're not. We're not going to look at the uh, president of the United States, former uh, our chairman, Rupert Murdoch. Somebody said not to. So we're not going to do it. Fox, you can't count on them, folks. They're just a bunch of vain people in it for the money, status, prestige. Remember Jen Psaki, the most notorious uh, press secretary that I can remember? She lied for a living. I mean, she was awful. So the day she goes on Fox News, you think, okay, now this is an opportunity, right? We're going to make some news and we're going to get some honesty. We're going to, no, it wasn't like that at all. 
Great to have you, and we have so much to cover with you. I want to start with the voting good morning, rules. Good morning to you, Jen. By the way, it's hard to find two Bengal fans in the same room. And <laughs> That's we, right. And we've done it. Can I join the big, party? Big game this weekend. Big game on Saturday. Go big Bengals. We'll, we'll be all playing that. And hopefully there will be no breaking news that you have to deal with, Jen, during <laughs> the Bengals not. game. We will try to protect you from Thanks that. Thanks for being here. When the president said, looks at his watch and says, I guess I'll go another 24 minutes. I'm curious what your exact heart rate was at that time. <laughs> All right. It goes on like I'm this for about a half hour. General, They're just catching up like a bunch of friends. Can you imagine CNN being that gracious to anybody on our side? Of course not. Of course not. So Donald Trump, quite frankly, was screwed over. Again, we expect from the mainstream media, but by huge swaths of the conservative media. And uh, some of the candidates who he endorsed, they turned their back on him. They really did. And you know who they embraced? The swamp. Who remembers this General Bulldog? He's ancient history, it seems like now, but he showed a lot of promise back when he was in the primary for a senator from New Hampshire. I signed a letter saying that Trump won the election, and damn it, I stand by my election. I'm not switching horses, baby. Hey, how about that? No wonder he won the uh, primary up there. He lost the general, and here's why. Mitch McConnell had a talk with him. Uh, General, we need you to tone down your talk about the 2020 election. And you must accept that Joe Biden is the uh, legitimate winner of the election. And uh, if you do so, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, grant you uh, campaign funds. From That's what happened. And here's the result. One of the things that Maggie Hassan, the Senate incumbent, will say is that you are an election denier, that you deny that President Biden won the 2020 election. Do you stand by that today? So, you know, we, uh, we, we uh, you know, live and learn, right? Um, and I've done a lot of research on this, and I've spent the past couple of weeks talking to Granite Staters all over the state. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, he flip-flopped. He flip-flopped. And uh, that wasn't impressive. You got to be authentic. You got to be consistent. I believe in politics. So uh, I have those concerns. And I also have this election irregularities. Have they all been taken care of? Really? Uh, you know, 2020, there were a lot of election irregularities, and they said we couldn't talk about them. Have they all been fixed? Now, some places have great elections, and they've really worked on their systems. So Florida has uh, really the best election system probably in the world. They know what they're doing. They fixed their problems after 2001. They worked on them long. They worked on them hard. And last night we had very clear-cut and convincing, no-doubt, victories. And we knew last night. Same goes for Ohio. They had some hiccups back in 2004. We knew last night that J.D. Vance <laughs> cleaned that guy's clock. He was the outright victor, and we knew last night. Other parts of the country, I'm not so sure they have their act together. Pennsylvania, this guy. Fetterman, the next uh, U.S. senator from Pennsylvania, right? Guy who wears, 50 years old, he wears short pants in November. The only other person I know who wears short pants in November, December, is Bart Simpson. No kidding, yeah, yeah, he wears shorts. Uh, I've got concerns as well as people in Pennsylvania. They have not ironed out all of the weirdness from their elections. They changed the rules during COVID. Uh, the Center for Public Integrity, they've got concerns too. Uh, they say as follows, Pennsylvania's murky ballot curing process continues to haunt 
the state's elections, and that's from last month. They did not work out all of their kinks all across the country. There are still issues with elections and ballots. And here in New York, when I voted, I couldn't believe how small the font was, quite frankly. I had trouble understanding it. I also could not understand why there were Chinese characters all over my ballot, but there were, as you can possibly see right there. It was a very, very easy thing to screw up by anybody. All right, so I have concerns about the fairness of the election. Yeah, it's okay to have that. Here's something else that uh, happened, and it's neither good nor bad, I guess, but it happened. Young people turned out like crazy, and it's their right. But when you're young, in your 20s, you haven't bought a house yet, most likely. You don't know too much. Maybe you've filed income taxes. Maybe you haven't. You spend a lot of time on social media. You do what's trendy, what's hip, what's cool. I don't vote today like I did back then, but here's the difference. Because of social media, they're finally actually coming out. They've always tried to get the young people to come out to vote. Now they're actually doing it. It's an added uh, factor to be considered. Um, Joe Biden is so impressed with these young people, by the way. I've never been more optimistic about America's future than I am today. You know, I, particularly because of all those young people I talked about, 18 to 30. They're showing up. They're the best educated generation in American history. They're the least prejudiced generation in American history, the most engaged generation in American history, and the most involved. This bothered me, by the way, a lot today that he was able to somehow gloat that the Republicans didn't do as well as expected. He doesn't deserve that after all the carnage that he has wrought here in America and overseas. Wow, that was a tough one. Uh, but he's enamored with the young people. I am not. I am not. 20-somethings and all the fun they had during the summer of Black Lives Matter, yelling at cops and breaking things and rioting and looting, and somehow this was all glorious and sanctified and corporatized, and no, it was terrible. I am not nearly as impressed as Joe is by young people in their 20s, not at all. Young people in their 20s in the 80s and the 90s, you know, they weren't that politically focused. They were focused on getting ahead, all right, on working, both white collar and blue collar. Uh, you know, politics, didn't have time for politics. They were too busy trying to make the American dream. You actually miss those days. Another thing working against us, they called us election deniers. If you have Concerns about the election. They came up with this uh, new phrase about, what, two months ago? One of the troubling themes in this election year, election deniers. Trump-backed election deniers. These election deniers. GOP election deniers are on the ballot. Your Republican Party's next nominee for governor could be an election denier. You're going to have election deniers win. Yeah, it didn't bother me when I heard it. You know, it did. It did. But it was it might have been more effective than I realized. And uh, how about you, Kevin McCarthy, coming up with a catchy slogan, right? Call them reality deniers, okay? Thoroughly unimpressed by Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> wow. And uh, also unimpressed with the people who forgot we lost a war in Afghanistan, thanks to Joe Biden. Yeah, that's on him. But um, that was so 2021. I mean, really, who cares anymore, right? Something else got my attention today. Rather creepy moment when Joe Biden was asked about the prospect of Donald Trump running for president. 
we just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by uh, if we uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our constitution does not become the next president again. You catch that? He didn't say we'll beat him. We'll get more votes than Donald Trump. He says under legitimate uh, efforts under the Constitution, we'll make sure he doesn't get into power again. What does that mean? You know, there are a lot of ways to read the Constitution. We have a Supreme Court for that. Joe's played games along these lines before. And there's a certain Republican judge that Democrats swoon over. And when he said this, I did think that, boy, oh boy, these people, who knows what they could try to pull off. Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. Wow. MAGA people, Donald Trump and his supporters, a clear and present danger to the democracy. You know what that means, a clear and present danger? It means they can suspend the rules. Yeah, it does. Uh, the actual definition of clear and present danger, a risk or threat to safety or other public interest that is serious and imminent, one that justifies limitation of a right as freedom of speech or press. You get that? This is scary stuff. And when Joe Biden talks like that, I do believe this is what he's getting at. Hey, he did it before. Remember that little brainstorming session he had with his buddies in the Oval Office January of 2017, trying to figure out ways they could sabotage the presidency? Huh? All under the Constitution, of course. All right. Some of the factors uh, that I think led to the situation we're in right now, but I am still hopeful. And he just might declare for president next week. We'll see. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Well, wasn't all bad, of course. Uh, Beto O'Rourke wouldn't have to deal with this guy anymore. Ooh, a decisive defeat uh, at the hands of very effective Governor Greg Abbott. Congratulations to him. Beto, uh, let's face it, just made a horrible spectacle out of himself everywhere he went. And that was his whole shtick. So let's go through it. Uh, first, he ran for Congress successfully. Oh, then he ran for the Senate. Uh, that did not go well. He lost. And what do most people do after they lose? Uh, they run for the presidency? Really? I don't. I, I, only him, right? What? Talk about uh, what do the liberals call it? White privilege? I don't like that phrase, but maybe it applies to Beto. Okay. And then, yeah, running for governor in 20. So three in a row, I think he's done and he only has himself to blame and a lot of other things. I mean, look, Governor Abbott was a fantastic, but these little stupid stunts. In, in every, every single part of Texas, Texas all, all of you, you show, show the country how you do this. I, the most pathetic thing about that isn't that he used the F word in public. It was the reaction from the crowd. Like that's somehow special, right? And they go crazy. And then this far more serious, that, that foolish prank in the midst of all of that suffering in Uvalde. Remember this? 
Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. No, you need to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to so this is totally predictable when you Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. He was totally out of line, and uh, it probably did in his did in his campaign even before he started. Goodbye, Beto, and goodbye to uh, Congresswoman Loria. Remember her? Maybe not. Uh, she lost uh, to a Republican, Ken uh, Jen Kiggins. So she was on the January 6th committee, and she treated us all like children. So uh, who remembers when Donald Trump was in the beast on January 6th, and they said, oh, he was... Uh, fighting and kicking and screaming with the Secret Service agents. So how did the January 6th committee go about verifying that? They talked to a witness who was 80 cars away at the front of the motorcade. Here's a typical motorcade. They actually found a cop, like literally one of those motorcycle cops, to find out what was going on 50 cars back. I couldn't believe it. And they played a little bit of identity politics. I'm pretty sure this had something to do with it. Take a look. The second witness is retired Sergeant Mark Robinson of the D.C. Police Department, who was assigned to the president's motorcade that day. He sat in the lead vehicle with a Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade, also called the T.S. agent. Here's how Sergeant Robinson remembered the exchange. Was there any description of what, of what was occurring in the car? No, only that on the only description I received was that the president was upset and that he was adamant about going to the Capitol. And there was a, a heated discussion about that. Who cares? He overheard something. Somebody gossip on the radio. He didn't see or witness anything. Wow. I'm glad that a lot of these January 6th people will not be coming back. I'm also glad about this. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney lost to uh, newcomer Michael Lawler in Hudson, the Hudson Valley of New York State. Sean Patrick Maloney, what's interesting about this was he was the head Democrat basically in Congress in charge of getting Democrats reelected. And he lost his own campaign. And one of the reasons why I'm really sorry to see him go, he's just a nasty jerk. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? They're two different questions. I, I, I'm just asking you one. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? I assume President Trump would benefit. There we have it. See? <laughs> Didn't hurt a bit, did it? Didn't hurt a bit. But let me ask you something. Mr. Maloney. Hold on, sir. Excuse me. I've been very forthright, and I really resent what you're trying to Fair do. Fair enough. You've been very forthright. This is your third try to do so, sir. Didn't work so well the first time, did it? We had a little declaration come in after. Remember that? And now we're here a third time, and we got a doozy of a statement from you this morning. There's a whole bunch of stuff you don't recall. So all due respect, sir, we appreciate your candor, but let's be really clear on what it took to get it out of you. Yeah, that whole phony impeachment about the phone call and this guy, the way he behaved in public. I'll never forget that. I am so glad he lost. I guess I shouldn't take pleasure in that. Uh, oh, and Joe Biden today. Isn't it despicable that he actually got to gloat a little bit? Huh? Huh? But Joe being Joe, he had to overdo it. And then this uh, weird death fixation and reveling in grief. Very, very bizarre. I've heard him talk about 
the stuff that happened in his life a lot. We all have. But this was taking it to a new and gross level. Like a lot of you, we've been very fortunate as a family, but we've also been through a lot of fairly tough times. And it's not, and I've had the great advantage of having a family to get through them. When my first wife and daughter were killed when a tractor trailer broadsided them and killed my wife and killed my, my first wife and killed my daughter. And my two boys are expected to die. They were in the, it took the jaws of life three hours to get them out there on top of their dead mother and dead sister. I understand what that pain's like. And when Jill and I lost Bo after a year in Iraq. You know, is it all, it's always about him. And he tried to say that Bo's death was linked to the burn pits in Iraq. Well, I believe he died from brain cancer. Joe had brain cancer, and Joe never was around those burn pits. But you see how he tries to glorify himself in death and in the strangest ways. Anyway, look, I know that somebody is watching everything, and a lot of injustice is unfolding, and I don't think it's going to stand. I just don't. We're going to be live in Arizona in just a little bit. Stay with us. There she is, Carrie Lake. Look, she's one of my favorites, candidate for governor of the Republican in Arizona. She has not wrapped it up yet. It's still close, but the situation could change. Uh, our own Bianca De La Garza is standing by. She's in Phoenix right now. Hi, Bianca. What's happening out there? How Hi, are you? Greg. I'm doing good. Um, and you know what? I think Carrie Lake's camp is still going, doing good as well. Uh, we're outside Maricopa County where they are securing the ballots. You can see there's barricades here, Greg. There's actually a drone above us that local folks tell me is from the sheriff's office. So they're obviously making sure this area is very secure. But Maricopa County had all those issues with the voting machines yesterday. Just earlier tonight, they did a dump of about 62,000 votes. And it did make Katie Hobbs uh, now have a 13,000 vote lead. But again, there's still so many votes that need to be counted. So many people showed up yesterday in person. I was out at the polls there. Republicans are still feeling confident. Being on the ground sort of just sends a message. We're watching. We hope you, you comply in a, in a transparent way. It makes a huge difference when election officials know that there are lawyers with their pens ready and their computers ready to go to court. I think it absolutely keeps people honest. And it's not just in Arizona. This has been the case throughout the United States. All right, Attorney Harmy Dillon there working with the RNC. Uh, the camps here are lawyered up. Right now, the name of the game is Transparency, Greg, okay? They are making sure that the ballots uh, that didn't get to work in those machines, the ballots that so many people, likely Republicans, stood in line for hours to cast yesterday are counted with oversight by ballot watchers that are also Republican. They say they have the workers. They say it's going to be a few more days, of course. So we are watching and waiting. But again, any day now, we could have more votes swing in Carrie Lake's way and Blake Masters' way as well. Ah, yes, Blake Masters. All right, so how, how far down, as you said, 13,000 votes. Why, uh, why are we in this position? I mean, what was the issue? What, uh, what yeah. Did something break? I mean, what, what, what's the deal? 
<laughs> All right. I'll tell you why we're in this position. A lot of the early voting that happened, many believe, were Hobbs voters. So the Democrats, they mailed in their votes. We had a lot of folks here that I was talking to that are Republicans who didn't like how Maricopa County had issues in the primary. And they said, uh-uh, we're going to show up on voting day. And then, of course, what made everything even more of an issue, more of a strain for voting day, is the toner. Can you believe it, Greg? Toner in some of the machines, about 20 percent, according to Maricopa officials, was low. So when people went to cast their ballot, it wasn't reading right. So they said, you can put it in ballot box three here, and we will take that ballot to a location here to tabulate it later. Now, I do want to emphasize right now, everyone with Carrie Lake's team, Harmit Dillon, other folks, they are saying Maricopa County really has had a lot of voting issues. And the bigger issue maybe too. get this, her opponent, of course, Katie Hobbs, is the secretary of state. She was the one, Greg, who should have had a contingency plan that the toner was low during the primaries. They're saying what what happened yesterday really was a disgrace and something that could have been prevented if she actually had done her job. Wow. And these are the same people, by the way, who tell us everything was just perfect in 2020. And I have yeah. my concerns, and it's okay to have concerns about 2020. Well, Bianca De La Garza, thank you very, very much to be continued. And uh, our regards to everybody out there. Thanks, Greg. Okay, all the best. And we will be right back. Well, there he is, the legendary lawyer, the brilliant professor Alan Dershowitz. What an amazing career he's had. There he is defending the president of the United States from that unfair impeachment. Been involved in so many high-profile cases, um, including one where he was accused wrongly. Those of us who know Alan Dershowitz and took any time to look at the evidence knew that it was all bogus. But he was accused of, uh, well, assaulting an underage girl or having whatever, relations. Turned out to be totally bogus. And now the accuser is admitting as much. Take a look at this headline from the New York Times. Epstein victim says she may have made a mistake in accusing Dershowitz. And let's go into that. That's the Virginia Jerfy, whatever her name. I have long believed that I was trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein to Alan Dershowitz. However, I was very young at the time. It was a very stressful and traumatic environment. I now recognize I may have made a mistake in identifying Mr. Dershowitz, what about how traumatic this was for him? Uh, Professor Dershowitz, welcome back to the show. And um, I, I woke up to this headline. I was very gratified to see it. How did you feel and how did this come about? I felt great. Uh, how it came about was people disapproved of me being Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer and Donald Trump's lawyer. So um, a decision was made by people to frame me. And... Uh, uh, they used uh, a young woman, and uh, uh, the young woman now acknowledges uh, that she uh, may have made a mistake. Uh, others uh, have already said she was uh, pressured into naming me by her uh, lawyers. Um, it's all in my book, Guilt by Accusation. Uh, but now she's finally come forward after eight years and acknowledged what I have said from day one. I said on day one, I never, I, I don't, never heard of this person. Um, um, there's no truth to it at all, and and there never will be a witness. There'll never be a photograph. There'll never be any evidence because I wasn't there. I, um, it's a case of mistaken identification, and now she's come forward and and confirmed that she may indeed have 
mistakenly identified me, and she's dropped the case against me. Um, I wanted to go to trial. Um, I wish I had gone to trial. I would have wanted to uh, disprove everything in a court of law, but it's been very hard on my family, on my wife, on my children, and they really uh, put pressure on me to accept the offer of this woman. And I have to praise the woman, finally, for coming forward after years and years and years and acknowledging acknowledging the truth, the truth that would have been established at trial, but uh, she uh, she uh, recognized uh, what what had happened. And, and so I think my name has now been cleared and I can get back to defending people and being controversial for good reasons. <laughs> um, the media, uh, you know, you're no darling of the media and they picked up these accusations and ran with them. Let's take a look, please. Virginia Jaffray, who is suing Epstein's attorney, Alan Dershowitz, for defamation. This defamation lawsuit. Dershowitz accused not only of defaming her, but also participating in sexual assault. Alan Dershowitz's name, you know, has been mentioned by one of the uh, Epstein victims uh, who she made the allegation that, you know, and he has vehemently denied it as well. It is Virginia Roberts, Jeffrey. He said not only that, but there is a document from a separate uh, alleged victim that exonerates him. All right. Look, you're a famous high profile person. Um, these allegations were quite scandalous and quite wow. I would have to say, I guess I understand they were newsworthy. I mean, to some degree, you know what I mean? You have a famous person, somebody comes yeah. forward, whatever, and they're backed up. They got they're hanging around with David Boys. Do you harbor any resentment? Did the media there make any mistakes with you? Oh. Oh, the New Yorker violated its own rules. It said you needed two sources to corroborate uh, an allegation like this. And because David Remnick doesn't like me because of Trump and because he hates Israel, uh, he put a, a journalistic hack on me in order to uh, create a narrative that I am a, a sexist. And he violated all of his own rules and he put forward a narrative which is false. I don't think the New Yorker will mention the fact that uh, the woman has now come forward and said she may have misidentified me. Uh, I, I don't have any real objection if the major news networks carried the story, but they ought to carry this story, too. And many of them have not. Many of them just carried the story on page one and then either buried the story at all on page 28 or didn't carry it at all. The New Yorker is the worst villain. Uh, they turned from a decent newspaper into a newspaper run by a political hack uh, who has destroyed the magazine and who has turned it into uh, a polemical screed against people he doesn't like. The other yeah. people who canceled me, Temple Emanuel in New York, largest reformed temple. I had spoken there every year. They canceled me, even though the rabbi, Rabbi Josh Davison, said he didn't believe a word of it, but he canceled me. The 92nd Street Y canceled me. The Ramah School canceled me. Where are they now? Why are they not calling me and saying, oh, whoops, sorry, yeah. the person who accused you has said she may have uh, misidentified you. But but we are not apologizing at all for having engaged in McCarthyite tactics. That's wrong. Hey, Professor, let me ask you one more thing. This is traumatic. I'm sorry you went through it, but... Do you think it might have made you a better lawyer or a better person to have gone through this? I mean, you've represented clients who have been accused of murder and who have really been in tight spots, and you were in a bit of a tight spot. Yeah, uh, no, it's a did it? Did it? Did it? Did you in any way evolve as a person because of this? You know what I mean? Or as a lawyer? There's no doubt that I did. Um, you know, I have much more sympathy now for people 
who are falsely accused. Um, you know, I was a professional. I won the vast, vast majority of my murder, homicide, attempted murder cases. Um, some of them were guilty. Some of them were innocent. I have to tell you, I presumed most of my clients were guilty, just based on the statistical fact that we live in America, not Iran, and most people who are charged with crime are guilty. Uh, this helped me really understand the situation of people who have been falsely accused. And I've now gotten hundreds of emails from people who have been misidentified, who have been falsely accused, asking for my help, and I'm going to give them my help. I do half of my cases pro bono. I've defended lots of controversial people on, on all sides of the political spectrum. I'm 84 years old. I hope I have the strength and uh, ability and mental acuity to continue to do this for more years, and I will devote a lot of my time to defending falsely accused people. Look, the Me Too movement has done a lot of good in helping to identify real predators, but every single movement gets abused by people who want to take advantage of it. And our system has to figure out a way of distinguishing the real, real uh, accusations against the false ones. And we're not doing a good job there. Professor Dershowitz, thank you. Congratulations. Can we see the headline one more time? I think it's just fantastic. You know what I mean? Uh, the New York Times, too. Give them credit. They put it in the paper, and Epstein victim says she may have made a mistake in accusing Dershowitz. I knew it all along. Hey, do me a favor. Check out uh, his book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, available wherever books are sold. And uh, thank you very much. Great to see you again, Professor. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You bet. We'll be right back. All right. The guy on the left, that's Sean Patrick Maloney, the congressman. He was the head of the DCCC. It was his job to make sure all the Democrats got reelected. Nasty, nasty guy. And I'm so glad that the guy who was in charge of getting everybody reelected actually lost himself. He was running uh, to retain his seat in the Hudson Valley of New York State, and he lost to Assemblyman Michael Lawler, the Republican who joins us now. Congratulations, Congressman. I guess uh, you're not sworn in yet, but uh, seriously, uh, how does it feel? Close race, but you did it, and congratulations again. Thank you, Greg. appreciate the opportunity to come on tonight. I feel great, uh, but you know, this was never about me. It was about the voters in my district. And they were fed up with one party rule. You know, for the first time in our nation's history, Democrats control everything in Washington, Albany and New York City. And they've created an absolute mess a 41 year record high on inflation, surging crime, skyrocketing energy prices and a porous southern border with not only a massive inflow of illegal immigration, but drugs coming into our communities. All of the gains uh, from 1993 to 2019 were squandered when cashless bail took effect. Since January 1st, 2020, index crimes are up 36% in New York City. And people are fed up with it. And they're tired of it. They want change. They want a, a restoration of balance and common sense at every level of government. And ultimately, that's why Sean Maloney lost uh, in yesterday's election. So I understand that. Then can you explain to us how Kathy Hochul won? I mean, talk about a disaster. We know what's happening in New York. You just described uh, some of it. What happened there? 
Look, obviously, you know, the demographics uh, and, and uh, voter enrollment in New York is difficult. It's tough. And New York City especially, um, you know, has, has gotten much more democratic uh, over the last decade. And unfortunately, in, in yesterday's election, you know, you had a lot of people just come out and vote blindly Democrat out of New York City. Zeldin did get 30 percent roughly out of the city, which is about where he needed to be. Uh, but there was definitely an increased turnout in New York City. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, um, you know, the, the margins just weren't there. But as a result of, of his campaign and his effort, uh, we're going to send 11 members of Congress uh, down to Washington, which is the highest uh, we've had in years uh, for Republicans. So Lee Zeldin played a big role in that. Uh, in energizing the base, in, in uh, getting enthusiasm and turnout up uh, in these congressional districts. And, and I appreciate the work that he did uh, tirelessly trying to address these challenges. Uh, you want to weigh in on who should be the next speaker, assuming that the Republicans do lock this up, which I don't know if it actually has been at this moment. Uh, there are still some outstanding seats, but are, would you be behind uh, Kevin McCarthy? Look, I, uh, I'm a big believer you, you stick with who brought you the dance. And, and uh, Leader McCarthy was very supportive in my race. Uh, he uh, really went to bat for me. Uh, and so I will certainly support him uh, when we take back the majority. And we're going to take the majority. Um, and we need to, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the focus has to be on addressing the challenges that we're facing as a country and stopping the radical, woke, progressive agenda that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have been enacting uh, since taking control of Washington uh, 22 months ago. So there's a lot of work to do, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting there on January 3rd so we can get started and fix our country. One more thing. Um all that work is very, very important. In my opinion, it is also important that we have real investigations into the Bidens. Hunter Biden, uh, Joe and his inability or refusal to secure the border. I believe it might be one of his constitutional duties to uh, to do that. Um, impeachment and or investigations. I mean, we can do both, correct? Well, listen, I my focus will certainly be on uh, addressing the challenges that we're facing. And should there need to be investigation and oversight on the Bidens uh, and any uh, potential uh, criminal activity uh, and or obviously uh, policy decisions that, um, you know, have, have created a failure of our government, then we need to look into, into those. But I want it to be based on evidence and fact uh, and not just political food fights. We saw what the Democrats did under the Trump administration. Uh, we need to make sure that everything we're doing uh, is is based on the evidence and facts. And, and that certainly would be my commitment. All right. Well, Congressman-elect Michael Lawler, congratulations again. And uh, good luck. Stay in touch, please. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. You bet. And we'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. 
Another reason why we didn't do so hot last night, big tech, big tech. You know, they're in the pocket of Democrats. Remember when uh, Mark Zuckerberg used to go off for those uh, special weekends with Barack Obama? You know, just hang out. Um, yeah, those guys were really, really tight. And here he is with Donald Trump. <laughs> he could not stand the guy. Could not stand the guy. Now, here's the deal about Facebook. Um, back in 2016, Facebook was utilized so effectively by the Trump team. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing. They just campaigned better than Hillary. And the left, it drove them crazy. Here's Brad Parscale. He ran digital ops for uh, Trump in 2016. In the primary season, what was the strategy on Facebook and how did it kind of shift going into 2016? Shock and awe. Shock and awe. How yeah. so? What's that mean? Which means is uh, put Mr. Trump's message, let him speak directly to camera and get it to as many people as possible. And why was Facebook the ideal medium for that? Low cost CPM, large numbers of conservative vo voters, ability to broadcast all day multiple times to the same audience and the numbers were showing in the consumer side that people were spending more and more hours of their day consuming Facebook content and an aggregated uh, newsfeed. Talk about a brainiac, right? I love this clip. The Trump team used Facebook more effectively than Hillary, the Democrats, and they they lost their minds about that. And they blame Facebook big time. So when they would bring uh, Zuckerberg up to Capitol Hill, uh, they let him have it. This is what's so frustrating to me. It's almost like you think this is a joke. When you have ruined the lives of many people, discriminated against them. Do you know what percentage of African-Americans are on Facebook in comparison to majority folks? Do you know what the percentages are? People using the Facebook Yes. Do you know what the percentages are for African-Americans? I don't because we don't collect the races of people. Well, it, 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 it came out in a report and in the Pew Research uh, Center that was sent to you. So maybe you just don't read a lot of things that deal with civil rights or African-Americans. I have a lot of questions I'm going to send to you that I'm not going to be able to get through. And I would like an answer because this is appalling and disgusting to me. Right. They really berated him, not just her. A lot of them. Democrats were furious. He made it all up to them by giving them hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that helped Democrats in the 2020 election mess with the algorithms. And we're still paying the price. Thanks to that man. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. All the best.